If you have your Bible with you, one more time, locate 1 Peter in chapter 5 as we conclude our study of 1 Peter. And we're going to find the Apostle Peter talking about the church, talking about being strong together, talking about serving together, talking about being God's people in a hostile world, serving God in grace. And as we uh, wrap up this study, Peter is going to give us some directives, some reminders of what it means to be the church and what to focus on, both individually but primarily as a church, as we serve God together in this generation. Uh, we're not a church just by the numbers. We're a church because God has, uh, each person uh, that knows Christ as their Savior is part of the church because we are saved in Christ, because of what we believe that we sang about just a while, uh, a few minutes ago. We are the church because of Jesus Christ, and it's all about Christ. It's all about Him. Peter points us again in that direction and reminds us in these final verses to be God's church in our generation and to serve him faithfully together. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll start reading at verse 12. As Peter concludes and says his goodbyes, he writes, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. We serve Christ together by his grace. We serve Christ together in his grace. The theme of the letter of 1 Peter has been living hope. Living hope. Our living hope is in Christ. That's what we share together. He has written to these believers dispersed uh, in the Roman Empire, having been run out of their homes in Rome itself. They have been displaced to Asia Minor, suffering Christians, confused Christians, struggling Christians, first-time Christians, and the first generation of Christians trying to figure out how do we serve God in an increasingly hostile culture. And in this letter, he has imparted to them the wisdom of God, the very inspired word of God has come to them and then to us as we also seek to serve Christ in this increasingly hostile culture. So in these verses, he says his goodbye. And when he does that, he focuses in on that great truth. We serve God together as believers in Christ. That's what sets us apart. It's, critically for, it's critical for believers to remember that. Uh, we are set apart for Christ. You go out and you live in the world, but when you gave your life to Christ, when you trusted him as your Savior, when he saved you from your sin, you were set apart for service to Christ wherever you are. And the main thing that these people in this room and at home, the main thing that we who call ourselves First Baptist Church of Shalom have in common is our relationship with Jesus Christ. We serve Christ. Peter wants to underscore that for them in their day, for those displaced Christians, and for us today as well. So I want to go back to three directives that he gives the church, which we need to embrace today as well, and we need to, to consider where we are as we serve Christ today, together in grace today. Three directives. The first one is to stand firm together. That's actually the only command he gives in the verses we just read. Stand firm in it. 
Uh, the phrase stand firm here translates a word that means stand your ground. Stay put. Be steadfast and movable. Stand your ground for Christ. But he says stand firm in it. Well, what's the it that you're supposed to stand firm in? Well, he starts out the letter and he says, I've written to you for two reasons. One is to encourage you and the other is to testify that this is the true grace of God. Both of those things are relevant to answer the question of what we're supposed to stand firm in when we are steadfast, when we hold our ground. First is, he says, I, I wrote this brief letter to encourage you. Uh, the word translated encourage means to walk alongside you. To say, I know you're going through difficult times, but you are not alone. So you should be encouraged, Peter says, by everything I have just written you. Everything I've just said is intended to encourage you. And believers, listen, remember, the Word of God encourages us by the truth of God, reminding us who we are in Christ. So he says, I've written this to encourage you. And then second, to testify that this is the true grace of God. This, he says, is my personal testimony. Literally, I bear witness to this. What? This is the grace of God. So, so, so the question is, stand firm in it, and that this is the grace of God is the same thing. What is the grace of God? Well, the grace of God is the grace of God, right? But what's he pointing to? He's pointing to the letter. The word of God is a revelation of the grace of God. And Peter knows this is God's word. He's just written God's word to them. And he will say in 2 Peter, go back and read that letter sometime. He, he acknowledges the Apostle Paul's letters are the word of God. They know this. They are inspired of God to write the word of God, in this case he says, to encourage you and to remind you God's grace. I can testify to you of God's grace. You are living in God's grace. You are strong because of God's grace. I come alongside you. I walk with you to remind you. You live in the grace of God. People, we are here because of the grace of God. We are believers because of the grace of God. And we testify by our lives and our lifestyle the grace of God is true. He saved us. He strengthens us. He walks with us. He never leaves us alone. He put us in this church body. Chose this church for us because of the grace of God. Some of you are thinking, no, I drove around and I found this church. Really? Peter says, let me testify of this. Everything I've just written you is the truth of the grace of God. And I lived it. I can tell you about it every day. Paige Hunter is a uh, uh, resident of the UK. And when Paige Hunter was 18 years old, she was going through a terrible, depressing time. And she decided to take her own life. So Paige went out to a bridge that's in her area that's very common. Uh, people sadly feel like that the, the end has come and uh, a lot of folks will take their lives at that bridge. So she went out to that bridge to do just that. And she said she was standing at the bridge and she was contemplating and, and trying to muster the courage to end her life when someone came along, asked her what she was doing, and she was honest, she told them. And they said something to her that changed her life forever. They said, never forget you are a person of worth and value. She said something just clicked in her mind and she stopped what she was doing and she went home and she digested those words and she thought about her life and she realized she was a person of worth. She had a reason to live. 
And she then realized that maybe that reason was to help other people just like her. She's now 24 years old, and since that day, in two, when she was 18 years old, uh, she goes out to the bridge and she posts notes to other people that are suffering through depression and discouragement and despair that they can read when they get there to remind them of their value and their worth. And she's had many people uh, uh, communicate with her on social media, reach out to her personally. She's befriended and connected with many people whose lives she believed and they believe she helped save their lives by intervening in a very, very simple way. One young man, 25 years old, went out to the bridge to take his life. And he said, when I read one of those notes and I took it home, he said, all of a sudden I realized how much I had to live for. I had a family. I had children. I had a life. I had a future. And I reached out in a page and we've connected ever since then. And I, I help her help other people. In a very similar way, Peter means this for you, the church, but even more so for the people of God. Walk alongside each other. Remind one another of the grace of God. Remind each other that God never lets you go, never gives up on you, and together stand firm in the truth of God. Hold your ground on what is true and hold your ground in the grace of God. He's not giving up on you. He's not letting you go. No matter how hostile the world, the culture might get, your workplace gets, your family gets, stand firm, hold your ground in the truth and the grace of Almighty God. Stand firm together, church. That's what we do. Second, serve faithfully together. Serve faithfully together. God is all about relationships. So the church is all about relationships. He's all about it. us loving one another, caring for one another, walking alongside one another, standing firm together. God is all about relationships. So he's also all about seeing lives changed so we can serve together. Right in front of us in these two verses are actually three individuals. Two of them named by name. I'm going to wait till the last one to tell you what the third is to see if you can figure it out. The first one named by name is Sylvanus. Sylvanus is the Latinized name of Silas. Silas became very famous in the book of Acts. And every time Silas shows up, that's his Hebrew name, every time Silas shows up, we learn that he is steadfast, that he is faithful, that he's consistent. In the book of Acts, Silas is one of the most well-respected individuals in the early church, often selected for mission opportunities. The fact that he has the name Sylvanus as well as Silas also tells us that similar to the Apostle Paul, since he had a Latinized name, a Gentile name, and a Hebrew name, he likely was a, a Hebrew who had Roman citizenship. Very unusual. But it made him capable of interacting with a host of people in his culture. And here Peter identifies him as a person integral to writing this letter, something like a secretary, meaning that Peter would have dictated his words to Sylvanus, and also the one that likely took the letter to Asia Minor on behalf of Peter. So here we have that individual who is consistent and faithful at all times. doesn't mean he doesn't have problems. But think about it, you know people like that, some sitting right here, you know people who are consistent and faithful, they know Christ and that's attractive to you. They're the ones that are frequently asked to, to lead 
others, to help us, all of us, to understand Christ better. They, they frequently rise to the occasion. And usually they do that not because they have no problems, burdens, or brokenness, but in spite of those problems, burdens, and brokenness. They know of God's grace, and they demonstrate it by their consistency and their faithfulness. Second man, Mark. Mark sends his greetings. My son in the faith, Peter said. Mark, as we know from the New Testament, is John Mark. Mark was likely a young boy, preteen perhaps, when Jesus walked the earth. But later through life, when he comes to Christ, he's identified as one who could join the mission endeavor. Uh, and, and, and even it's even believed that when he wrote the gospel of Mark, that's his gospel, that he got his information from the apostle Peter when he wrote the gospel of Mark. But as he grew up, if you can envision in your mind, he, he's literally growing up, knowing people in the church. His mother housed one of the churches, which tells us also he came from a somewhat affluent family. But Mark has something of a checkered history. At the end of the book of Acts chapter 15, the apostle Paul uh, and a man named Barnabas whose real name, his given name is Joseph. His nickname's Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Can you imagine your personality trait being encouragement? So much so that people call you Mr. Encouragement. That was Barnabas. And Barnabas and Paul are getting ready to launch out on a mission. They go to check on churches that have already been planted and, and win more people to Christ. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark along. And he and Paul, the Bible says get into a heated discussion. Why? Because in the previous mission where Mark was going along, he wilted and he went home. Paul says, we're not doing that again. So Barnabas says, you can come with me. Come on, Mark. And the Bible says, John, Mark, and Barnabas went one way. And the Apostle Paul, you know who he selected for his number two? Silas. He and Silas went another way. God used it to expand the kingdom of God. And as history records, John Mark grew in his faith. So much so, at the, in the last letter Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, he acknowledges John Mark as being one of the great heroes of the faith. And here Peter says, he's my son in the faith. So for us, Silas is that consistent, faithful believer we all look to for leadership, for hope, for understanding of God's grace. John Mark, he's that reminder that some of us just need to grow. Some of us need a little time. Some of us might wilt and wane occasionally. And when we do, listen, we all need a Paul that says, This is the truth. You need to grow. And a Barnabas that says, And I'll help you do it. Everybody knows that kind of person. You might be that kind of person. And listen, if you were the one that wilted and waned at some point, God hasn't given up on you. The church hasn't given up on you. Take your time. Grow in Christ. Let people come alongside you to help you. Silas, John Mark. Who's the third person? Right in front of you. Well, the Apostle Peter, of course. Peter himself, who acknowledges the grace of God, 
is the person, yes, he wrote the letter, but if, he, if anybody knows failure, he knows failure. Brash in his loyalty, outspoken among the apostles, but when the time came to stand for Christ, he caved and even denied Christ three times, and Jesus restored him. He became a leader among leaders in the church. When he says, I can testify, this is the true grace of God, you listen to Peter. He knows what he's talking about. The steadfast, the faithful, the wilted one who grows and comes back, and the failure who knows what it's like to be restored by the grace of God. That strike home to anybody? We serve faithfully together, all kinds of Christians. What we have in common is not that we are great in ourselves, but we, what we have in common is the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. First Baptist Church is not great because we're First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church is, will be, and always is great for the God himself and because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He brought you here for a reason. Have you ever thought about that? God's all about relationships. He didn't bring you here so you could sit back and soak. He brought you here to get involved. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that yet. Well, talk to God. Because he brought you here for a reason. Then last, we are directed and reminded to stay focused together. Stay focused on what matters most. Stay focused on this one truth. We are believers in Christ. What we have in common is Jesus Christ. Occasionally, Christians get in a bit of a tiff. I know that's never happened to any of you. But occasionally Christians disagree, and sometimes that disagreement might get a little vocal, might get a little, you know, some cold shoulders there now and then. It could even get a little more serious. So, so here's the thing, before we go any further. If you're a follower of Christ, and you're in a bit of a tiff with another follower of Christ, always remember what you have in common matters more than what you disagree about. And what you have in common is Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what matters. He closes out with what sounds to us in our 21st century mindset a little bit odd. She who is in Babylon greets you. What? She who is in Babylon is a euphemism for the church, the people of God, serving Christ in the city of Rome. Uh, in the Bible and in the ancient world, especially among Christians and Jews, Babylon became a representative of any city or people that hated believers, that opposed God and his work. She refers to the church. It became a long-standing tradition, even in the New Testament, to speak of the church that way. She, who we serve, she greets you. So she in Babylon are believers in Rome. Now, now remember, our audience, Peter wrote to, are displaced Christians from the city of Rome. But Peter wants them to know that it's all about Christ. And, and, and the Christians, they're still a church. They're still believers. They're still Christians in the city of Rome. And they don't send you their bitterness and their anger. They send you their greetings. They're praying for you. You are siblings in Christ Siblings and suffering for Christ, and they know it. So remember, church, wherever you are, you are always the church. 
And just in case we don't get that, he closes out this way. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You who left Rome, displaced to Asia Minor, you're the church also. Nothing changed. You're not back home in Rome. You'd like to be there, but you have siblings suffering in Rome. They are the church in Rome. You are now, get this, the church in Asia Minor. You're not just people displaced. You're people sent. Behave like the church. Love on one another. Now, in his case, he uses the symbol of the kiss. In the ancient world, it was common to greet people you care about with a kiss on the cheek's cheek. You don't have to do that. Aren't you glad to know? But the point is to greet one another with warm fellowship. You're the church together, right where you are. And God sent you here to be his church. At first, you might have a hard time through the suffering seeing where God has put you, thinking of it that way. And that's why Peter wants to help out a little bit. Greet one another. You're the church. You're the church. And, and just in case we should forget that, his closing sentence and the two last words of the whole letter put an exclamation on it. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. You're the church. You're in Christ. Don't focus on what's happening outside. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on who you are in Christ. And help each other focus on that great truth. This is who we are in Christ. We have this time, this generation, this moment to serve each other, to love each other, to help each other, to walk alongside each other in Christ. This is our time. Being in Christ is the beginning and it's the end. It's the, it's the point that where everything for us begins as believers. It's where we're going. It's where we are. It's who we are. We are believers in Christ. And, and that's what matters. And we help each other stay focused on that. When, when we struggle with what's going on in our lives and all around us, we need believers to, to remind us who we are who we are in Christ. You're watching your football NFL playoffs, I know. The Texans lost, I know. Uh, on the after the January 13 game between the Texans and the Browns, which the Texans won and got them to the game yesterday, 22-year-old quarterback C.J. Stroud was interviewed. And the first thing he did was profess his faith in Christ. Something like, first I want to give all the glory to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was his first sentence. Then he went on to talk about the game and the team and, and the teamwork and what an unusual day it was that they, they won against the Browns. Uh, that interview caught fire on social media, but what got even more attention is that when NBC Sports posted that same interview, they edited the first sentence, took it out. 
So on the NBC Sports version, he never says anything about Jesus Christ. He just starts talking about the team. But people who know him and anyone who watches his interviews know anything about him and his family and his background know he is an outspoken follower of Christ, makes no bones about it. He, he, he doesn't try to put it in your face. He just tells you who Jesus is and what his faith means to him is his strength in life. The great irony of editing Christians is it actually gives them more attention. Had they not done that, it probably would not still be going viral, but people are still talking about it, and there are comparisons all over the internet of what he actually said and what NBC edited that he said. So more and more and more people are hearing this one statement, I give all the glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We stand firm together. We serve faithfully together. And we stay focused together. Because no matter what happens in the world, you and I serve Jesus Christ. No matter what happens to you, win or lose, you serve Jesus Christ. Live your life that way. Because folks, remember, the numbers are the numbers and they're helpful, but the numbers do not tell us the condition of our hearts. The numbers do not tell me who in this room or at home is faithful to Christ right now, who's serving Christ right now, who's submissive to Christ right now. It doesn't even tell me who's trusted Christ as their Savior or where we as believers are in our walk with Christ. The numbers don't tell us that, but God knows it, and you do too. And God knows the strength of the church on earth as long as we are here the strength of the church boils down to this. We are in Christ. We are in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Testify to that. Read the word of God that testifies to it. Apply it to your life. Live in the grace of God. That's why you are here. Serve Christ faithfully in the church and watch what he can do. And know that no matter what happens in your life, God will use it if you're faithful to him. He'll glorify himself through your life. Do you believe that? We have a host of hopeful opportunities ahead of us in 2024. I anticipate God doing great things through the people of God at First Baptist Church. Don't you? But it all starts with this, who we are in Christ. So is he showing you anything you need to confess? Is he showing you anything you need to change? Is he speaking to your heart right now and saying it's time for you to participate in the great work of God? Is he saying to you right now, I want to do a work in your life if you'll submit to me. Is he saying to you right now, I've got great plans for what I'm going to do in your life in service in the church if you'll just let me? What's he saying to you right now? I'm going to pray for us. and After I do, the worship team's going to come, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord on this front end of 2024. And and acknowledge if God's speaking to you, maybe now's the time to start over. Now's the time to say, you know, I am part of this church family. God has brought me here for a reason, and I want to serve God here. Heavenly Father, God, as we pause in this moment, Father, we're so grateful for the way you work in our church and in our lives. And God, how I pray for each person here and at home. And maybe this morning we need to respond to Christ. We need to acknowledge that the only thing that really matters is our relationship with God in Jesus Christ and give everything else to you. Father, you know our hearts. You know our hearts, God. You know where we're at in our walk with you. 
You know, Father, those of us who have wandered away or turned our backs on you, you know, God, those of us who are excited and fresh in our walk with you, you know, God, those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior in this room or at home, you know who we are. So God, today I pray you would move in our hearts and we would respond to Christ as you're calling us to respond today. Father, lead us to take that next step of faith deeper into our walk with Christ as we start this brand new year. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.